0: Welcome to the BodyWise podcast, focusing on the new Maudsley Carer Skills, with me, Harriet Parsons, Psychotherapist and Training and Development Manager with BodyWise, and Jenny Langley, author of Caring for a Loved One with an Eating Disorder, the new Maudsley Skills-Based Training Manual. Each episode in this podcast series will focus on one particular aspect of the new Maudsley Carer Skills. We will explain the concept, talk through the ideas behind the skill, and learn how that particular skill can benefit carers. Welcome to episode 17. In this episode, we are thinking through the difficult situation when a carer needs to take their loved one to A&E in an emergency. Jenny, it's lovely to see you. Welcome. Hi, Harriet. It's great to be here. Jenny, this module, the sixth in the manual, is all about how to work as a herd of elephants. One of the hardest things for carers is when they feel at odds with the care team of the system they are relying on for help. The first section I would like you to tell us about is going to A&E in an emergency, including medical risk assessment. Unfortunately, I know from many of the parents I've worked with that this is a frequent reality and can be very distressing for all involved. Let's start where the manual begins, in the common situation where a parent is told that they should take their child to A&E if they're worried that medical risk is unacceptably high. And when they arrive in A&E, they're told it isn't the right place for them or the clinicians in A&E aren't clear about what happens next. So Jenny, maybe you could talk about why you included this in the manual and what types of situations you're thinking about here.
1: Yes, okay. So the first thing um, I want to just quickly um, describe is this her- concept of the herd of elephants. So um, this came from a dad, actually, um, who was just kind of observing that, you know, it's really important that, that it's not just mum and dad, or it's not just the close family, there's a whole network of people around someone who's tr- struggling with an eating disorder. And of course, the GP is part of that, the school or college might be part of that. And of course, going to A&E, um, and the eating disorder specialists are part of that as well well so you've got the physical risk which which is where you would get the emergency dash to ae normally and then you've got the mental health risk which you would hope that most hospitals would have some sort of mental health expertise on hand at all times. Now, of course, we know in reality that that's not always the case. So this module is very much thinking about that herd of elephants of which going to A&E is part of part and parcel of that overall care package. We know that eating sort of sadly have the highest mortality rate of any um, of the psychiatric illnesses. So um, the types of situations we're thinking about here is, well, in our situation with my my son, we we had the emergency dash to hospital, but we actually bypassed A&E because we'd just been to the GP surgery and he said, you need to go straight to hospital. So he rang the paediatric ward. Um, Our son's organs were basically failing. So we had to get him there as quickly as possible. So we didn't even wait for the ambulance. We just got there, but he was admitted straight away. So it was relatively smooth it was terrifying but it was relatively smooth in the sense of they were expecting us and they were going to get him straight in and put him on a drip and care for him medically so it was frightening but not as frightening as not knowing what's going you know not not knowing what's going to happen and this is why we included this in the manual is because parents and carers would obviously have an expectation that if they're rushing to a and e that there will be some care there will be some support and of course the first thing that happens when you get to A&E is there's a triage system, there's a great big packed waiting list, um, waiting room and it's just very distressing for everybody involved isn't it and then maybe after a four-hour wait if you're lucky then you might start, you might see a a nurse or you might see a doctor. Now of course at A&E what they're used to looking out for is immediate acute medical risk, physical medical risk. So they might do the blood pressure, they might Take your pulse. And of course, because of all the um, anxiety and even the excitement about the emergency dash to A&E, of course, the pulse and the the heart rate, the um, blood pressure and everything, they're all higher, aren't they, in that moment. So in that snapshot second, the young person doesn't seem to be particularly in medical danger. And that's where you often get A&E staff saying, um, well, you know, your son or daughter is medically safe. You can now take them home. And then the parents and the carers, whether it's partners or um, mum and dad, feel completely depleted and terrified. So we thought it would be a really, really good idea to kind of walk through the types of information maybe you can um, take with you. um, Talking to your loved one about going to A&E and also what sort of information you can be giving to the staff at A&E to make sure that they can do whatever they can, um, given the staff that they've got there in that moment. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So if we look at this section and we look at the tasks for carers in this section, um, carers are asked to come up with some useful phrases to calmly inform their loved one that they are stepping in and taking control. I wonder, um, would you have any examples on how to do this?
1: Yeah, because very often, as we know, the person with the eating disorder will be completely in denial that there's anything wrong. Like, leave me alone, I'm fine. Um, you worry too much, mum or dad, you know, back off. So some phrases that we that we um, have kind of scripted with carers um, might be something like this. So darling, it must be so confusing for you when you think there's nothing wrong. I'm seeing a very different version of events and I've called an ambulance because I can see signs that your physical health is deteriorating really fast and we need to get you to hospital quickly where you will be safe. So very calm, very clear instruction, but acknowledging it must be confusing because I know you feel fine. We can see that that's not the case. So that's why we're stepping in. Or another version might be, you know, we have a duty in society to look after you and it's now time for me to step in and take you to the hospital. Once you're out of danger, we can plan together for you to take back responsibility for your nutritional well-being or your health. Um, or another version might be, you've told me you do not think you need help and that you can care for your own safety. I understand that's how it feels for you. So stepping into the person's shoes However, that's in contrast to the facts that I'm seeing. And then you would calmly list what you're observing. And because of these facts, I'm going to take you to A&E as I need a doctor to give you a physical examination. So very calm. And and carers say it's so useful to have these scripts that they can almost practice in case they ever need to use them.
0: Yeah. So what I'm hearing in that is lots of empathising, using ors and um developing discrepancy is really helpful here yeah yeah so you're trying to empathize with how it might feel for the person and then you're presenting them with the the two sides the discrepancy of the situation
1: yeah and in the same way as if they'd taken an overdose of paracetamol for example you would step in and it would be minute by minute wouldn't it that this is what we're going to do just very calmly um and most most Um, people with eating disorders would go along with that if there's that calm approach Mm -hmm. if there's a big argument they're likely to fiercely resist
0: going to A&E yeah yeah so um, the next question then in the module is what information should carers give to the A&E team
1: so so this is really 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 important because all the A&E team is they see a snapshot of that person in that moment yeah so and as as we've just discussed you know blood pressure and heart rate may well have gone up on the journey to a&e or while they're waiting in the waiting room or you know when they're being triaged the you know that just the adrenaline gets going doesn't it so so you're not going to get a realistic view in that moment in that snapshot so rather than the snapshot, what you want to be presenting is the overall picture of why you're so worried that medical safety has been compromised at the moment. Now, of course, now we have um, the medical emergencies and eating sort of checklist. So it used to be called marzipan, um and patients basically said that they didn't like the fact that a, a medical checklist was called after a sweet food. So, so it's now called medical emergencies um, in eating disorders. And they have a really, really useful checklist. And I'm just going to run through, um, Harriet, if that's okay, what's on the, you know, what's on the summary checklist. Because I would say any family who's looking after someone with an eating disorder, it's really worthwhile having this checklist to hand at all times. Okay yeah and some of these are related to to food consumption and weight but many of them aren't so we know that only about 15% of people with eating disorders are actually underweight but they can still be a medical emergency when somebody is normal weight or even slightly above average weight so um so these are these are the things so they've got the first one is is if your median percentage bmi is under 70 percent, so weight for height below 70 mm-hmm. um so you might have a small group of patients who are in that position but the second one is is much more important for most families and it's it's the trajectory of the weight loss so recent loss of one kilogram or more for two consecutive weeks in an under in an already undernourished patients that's not very much is it No, you know, a week for two weeks or rapid weight loss at any weight. So if somebody's been, you know, maybe on the 75th centile and they've suddenly dropped to the 50th, that's really, really relevant information. So I always say to parents and carers, if you can keep a diary of all of these things, so you've got a picture of where this line is going so whether it's the heart rate line or whether it's the blood pressure line or whether it's the weight line or the weight loss line um, it's really useful for the medical for the medics to be able to see that picture rather than that one snapshot little or no nutrition for over five days so we know that that can happen often with our families Um, and that again might not necessarily be anything to do with being underweight but little or no nutrition for over five days um acute food refusal or less than 500 calories a day for over two days Mm -hmm. again we know lots of families who would be in that situation Mm -hmm. um physical struggles with carers over nutrition Mm -hmm. often there's often physical struggles now of course families might feel ashamed to to mention that but it's there on the medical emergency checklist so you know it is something that's really relevant um Obviously, signs of dehydration, so fluid refusal. Fluid refusal for more than about 24 hours would ring alarm bells, wouldn't it? Um, But that dehydration, then low heart rates below 40 beats per minute. um, Core temperature falling below 35, that's a big indicator. Uncontrolled exercise, and the guideline is over two hours a day. Now, we know so many families where there's much, much more exercise than that going on. Um, Daily purging. So, you know, even if it's once a day, that's very relevant information, um, self-harm, of course, um, and then any signs of suicidal ideation. So all of these things are relevant. Um, and so and those kind of would cover, um, you know, all of the eating disorders. It's not just with anorexia or ARFID where there's been rapid weight loss. Mm-hmm. Other things to look out for would be things like confusion or exhaustion or, you know, just Feeling a bit dizzy or faint because that that can be a a signal that there's a salt imbalance, for example, if there's been a lot of purging or there's dehydration and that sort of thing. So those are the sorts of things. So I would say always, families, it's really worthwhile
0: downloading that medical emergencies checklist. Great. And um, what should carers ask for, Jenny? Okay. So um, how long's a piece of string? <laughs> So
1: the main thing, the main thing for me, so if the doctors are saying, well, we've we've done all the observations and your son or daughter or your partner is safe for now, but we would recommend you ring the eating sort of service on Monday morning. So say this is on Friday night. So yeah. that seems like a long weekend, doesn't it? Yeah. So the first thing for me is, so can you give me assurance then that my loved one will be medically safe if I take them home for the weekend? hmm. Yeah. So 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 verbalizing that. Yeah. because Then the doctor's got to think twice, haven't they? Am I happy that they're going to be medically safe? Mm-hmm. So, and of course, carers have always got the opportunity to go back on Saturday and on Sunday if they need to. Um, but that I would always ask for that assurance. Um, what should I do then? But So so specifically, could you just tell me what I should do to get the follow up mental health assessment on Monday? Um, or you know who should I be calling? Is there a number that I can call? Mm-hmm. So being really specific, um is there a twenty four hour mental health crisis number that I can call? So A and E staff should have these things at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. um And then if there is that kind of you know the the violent outbursts that so often come with the distress of the eating disorder, you know when might it be appropriate to call the police? Would you know would be something so so what you're doing by asking these questions of the doctors or the nurses in A&E's you're showing that um this is really serious yeah. you know and you and you really need some support.
0: Jenny um could I just ask you there would you ever ask for that assurance in writing?
1: Um if yeah I mean I'm yeah it you might not get it but yeah. um you would hope that most hospitals would have some sort of leaflets that they could hand over with emergency numbers Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, and then the next question is, um, which is something that I hear coming up all the time, is what if the A&E team want to send the person home and the carers believe that they're too fragile to go home? So again,
1: we've we've come up with some useful phrases. So again, it's really good for carers to kind of think, practice these before they go. Because we know so many families, don't we, Harriet, where the young person is at home saying, I need help. I really want help. And then they get to hospital and they say, oh, no, I'm fine.
0: Yeah,
1: that's what the eating disorder does, doesn't Absolutely. it? So so useful phrases Maybe be. Um, so if I'm the mum, I'm worried that my son might deteriorate rapidly again um, and his life might be in danger because and then specifically list what I'm worried about. Yeah. So whether it's the starvation or not having fluids or. Um, self-harm or suicidal ideation, just you know, just having that list. Mm-hmm. or the th- the thing is, I can't take responsibility for her physical safety. Mm-hmm. So I do not have the medical expertise to assess when her life is in danger. She is so fragile, and I'm fearful that she will not get through the night. Mm-hmm. So the doctor's really got what you're doing is you're checking, you're getting the doctor to check in with himself or herself to say, am I really happy to send this person home given what this next of kin is telling me? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're, you're getting them to think twice. I simply cannot take her home in this fragile state. So I remember saying that when we were in, admitted to the paediatric ward um, and, you know, almost immediately they were saying, okay, so, so you know, once he's stable, hopefully we can get you off home. And I just said, I can't take him home. I said, I can't take him home. You know, we're here because he collapsed and he was going green, so I had a list of things, you know, and he was so confused, and he couldn't speak properly, and he started to dribble, and you know, all of these things that I would say, I can't take him home, but otherwise, I think they might have sent us home with him, like, very quickly, Um, or if I'm going to take her home I need a 24 hour crisis number um and I need the number to ring for the eating sort of service on Monday so that I can call them and arrange em- an emergency appointment this week so just things like this so it's just really useful for carers to, ha- to to have thought about this in advance um of going to AE. and it's never a waste of time you know they might never have the emergency dash to AE, but it's really useful just to you know
0: have this kind of like
1: preparation um before you go to a to and because
0: when they get to A&E, they're going to be so um, frazzled and so frightened. It's very difficult to think clearly. So yeah. practicing these kinds of phrases, um, as you say, hopefully they'll never need them. But practicing them at least gives them a chance of trying to be able to communicate clearly. And um, their fears at that kind of very fraught time. And then what if the person with the eating disorder is saying that they don't want help? Um, And the A&E team are saying that they can only help them if they want it. So again, so common, isn't this, in the world of eating disorders? Yeah.
1: Um, So again, we've come up with some useful phrases. So, um, well, her illness is telling her she doesn't need help. When she's less anxious, she does want help, and she feels so distressed that nobody can help her. Mm-hmm. And it might be useful in a calm moment, so if you if you are a family in that situation, so in a calm moment, when your loved one is being very eloquent about the fact that they want help and they need help is to actually get them to write something down oh, yeah. and have the agreement that you could hand that over, yeah and say, you know this is what this is what this is the conversation I had with her earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that we're in the crisis situation the the voices in her head the eating disorder voice is telling her she doesn't need help because that's what the eating disorder voice does but this is what she said earlier which is she really wants help mm. so that that's always really useful or she feels she doesn't need help at the moment because her illness renders her incapable of making rational decisions mm-hmm. um, or she does need help urgently and I have valuable information to share with you. So we've already gone through that checklist. Um, I, know I, can, I know I can give you information. This is really, really important. So even if your loved one is is 18 and over, or even 16 and over, some, some hospitals won't talk to you if your loved one is 16 and above, then um, I know that if her life is in danger, the usual rules around confidentiality no longer apply.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And even, even if her life isn't in danger, you can still listen to me is an important message. Yeah. Um, and we both have the same goal to keep her safe. So again, it's that imparting of that information. Um, and the, the you know, really, really trying to keep calm,
0: which is so hard when you're worried for the safety of somebody that you love. Yeah. 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 And that, I suppose, would be one of the really common pitfalls, wouldn't it, um, of that situation, where somebody just gets, you know, so emotional and so scared and frightened and yeah. um, yeah. that they can't think clearly yeah and well you know humans
1: emotions are what make us human beings and we tend to mirror the biggest emotion in the room so if a you know if a nurse or doctor in A&E is faced with a really angry parent then for all the training in the world that's going to trigger feelings of anger back yeah. It's like don't speak to me like that you know, I'm doing my best. So, so that, that the ability to keep calm in the face of a
0: terrible situation is just so invaluable. Yeah. So what kind of feedback do you get from carers who have tried this out? So,
1: so um, generally that that they get a much better response. If that's i mean you know some some families go to a and and the mental health team are there and you know everything just slots into place and they get an admission maybe to the pediatric ward or they get you know an admission straight into an inpatient center even um so you know sometimes that does happen but we know that it's it's not that likely to happen in the first instance so carers say that that if they've got all this information to hand they're taken much more seriously. I think that's the main thing. Mm -hmm. And the the medics are much more likely to to take on board is that their loved one is just incapacitated by the eating disorder in that moment, that the eating disorder voice isn't gonna let them ask for help.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And then being able to make that step to say, okay, we have a duty in society, all of us in this whole herd of elephants Mm -hmm. to keep you safe. So this is what we're gonna do. This is what's gonna happen next. And, you know, often the young person will be sent home, but at least the family knows that they've given all that information in for that medical decision to be made. So they can feel more reassured that, okay, so my loved one is going to be safe tonight at home rather than having the, um, oh, for goodness sake, her blood pressure and her, her heart rate were up anyway. And now as soon as we've got home, we can see they've gone down again and we're back at square one. -hmm. But it's all about that. That's what the New Moresley method is all about, isn't it? It's all about communication, collaboration, imparting relevant information. And of course, carers know their loved ones best. Mm -hmm. So they're in the best position to impart that information. Mm -hmm. But keeping diaries really, really, really valuable. So you've got rather than it's snapshot in that nanosecond, Mm -hmm. it's a this is what we've seen this last week or yesterday, this Mm -hmm. last week, this last month,
0: this is the trajectory, this is why we're here. Yeah. And it might be no harm for carers to have a few of those phrases in their phone or something. Yeah. And they go into a if they, you know, if they're in that unfortunate situation that they would have it there to read over to remind themselves of, you know, how they can communicate effectively. Um, yeah. And yeah. um, I know.
1: I know some families have gone in clutching my bits of paper okay. <laughs> <laughs> because they've got they've
0: probably got four hours to rehearse this while we're, they're waiting for their loved yeah. one to be seen. Yes. Yeah. 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 Is there anything else that you'd like to say about this, Jenny?
1: Just that you know, I've, I've been there with the emergency dashed hospital, and it's just awful. And my heart goes out to all these families that are experiencing, you know, these really really difficult situations and. Just that that bit of preparation, that, you know, getting, getting that information together, having a bit a bit like when you go to hospital to have a baby, you've got the baby bag already packed, haven't you? Okay. So just having your information there mm-hmm. always that you can take with you, whether it's to a regular GP appointment or whether it's a dash to AE or whether it's going to the eating sort of service, just having that, you know, that kind of log and diary of of, of what you've been observing is so, so valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and once you've got that, you can feel. little bit not in control because you're never going to feel in control but you can feel that you've a little bit more that that you're going to be able to be able to get the best help possible in that moment for your loved one yeah
0: thank you so finally jenny where can people go to find out more so all the worksheets um for for this model all the worksheets of course
1: um for any of the modules but all the worksheets for the module are on the website um i haven't yet made videos for these for this section so i'm i'm going to be it's on my to-do list to make videos to go with these um but obviously so we've got the podcast, the worksheets um and i'm always um sending out dates for more carer skills workshops that anyone can apply for
0: great so there you have it we hope that this episode is helpful for you and encourages you to think through the questions in the module, just in case you find yourself in the situation of having to go to A&E. If you have any questions, please email them to info@bodywise.ie, putting new Maudsley Carer Skills podcast in the subject line. If we get any questions, we'll, we'll endeavor to answer them in future podcasts. And we hope you will join us for our next episode where we will focus on preparing for a GP appointment. Until then, take care.